Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. He's a chance to get something to eat, right? So I see. So I mean, it's at home, you know, eating bonbons all day. So he's not really hungry. Yeah, that's true. Peggy <laughs> Bundy style. That's that my, that my lifestyle. Bonbons <laughs> and burritos is actually what I was thinking. But <laughs> I'm, I'm seeing you in a leopard skin, the leotard now. <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to episode 172 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell and I'm in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And we have Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. Hello. And lo and behold, it's Greg Heo from San Francisco, California. Hi there. Alrighty then. So can we can we ask Greg? Greg, what happened? What what, what you're over at you're over at Topology Eyewear now. Well, that's on? right. I've joined our good friend uh, Alexis Gallagher over at the company there. Cool. Making glasses cool. better for everybody. So that was the decision to go to go there. Was that was there anything precipitated that or just wanted to make a move into a cooler technology or something or that's kind of nice they're all in swift um i think the minimum or the app targets uh, ios 10 and above so you get to use all the latest right. cool tech and um dimensions all in swift yes is that yeah. <laughs> and uh, they're very close by they're here in the city they're actually a real, uh, 15 minute walk for me so it's a nice commute cool, that's pretty good so what language yeah. do they write in uh i think it's like swift recently just oh. converted to swift 4 that was my oh, thanksgiving nice. weekend project so no one cool. else was landing code so i took the opportunity to move everything over to Swift 4, which was fun. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We just went through that too. So mm. lots of fun. Lots yep. of fun. Yeah. So I'm curious. Uh, when I migrated to Swift 4, it was pretty easy. I mean, I ran the I ran the migrator and just had to fix a couple of things and was done. I mean, it was like a 15-minute job. Was it harder for other people? For us, the app is split into only three. It used to be like a lot more, but now it's three modules. So I had converted the first two modules already. They're like the support libraries kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Those went pretty well. Got some warnings about like strings and substrings 
things and just kind of fix them up. But they're just warning, so it's okay. And then um, it was the big, like the main app uh, module that I left for last and again, waited for the holiday weekend. And the migrator just wouldn't work. I think I tweeted about something like, uh, like I would start the migrator and it would just Xcode would crash. And the crash log nice. was like, trying to, cannot insert nil into an array. And I was like, oh my God, you know, what's going on here? But when I went back through the call stack, it was like trying to find the default scheme for the target or the target for the scheme. I can't remember, but there was some default that wasn't set properly for one of the things. I was like, maybe it's because it's a workspace with three projects. And if I'd open the projects individually, but I can't because they have dependence. Anyway, so I just changed the Swift version to four and hit build. And I just fixed all 250 errors or whatever, uh, sort of one by one, you know, one by one group by group. Yeah, because it was like the migrator does so much, but you had to go in and fix some things after the fact. I mean, I didn't even get that. The migrator wouldn't even run. So I couldn't even do that. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. When I tried it with the other one, because again, it's three projects inside a workspace. So I just opened the project. This is for one of the previous ones, the smaller modules. And it was like, oh, it's got all these dependencies because it depends on the other. Anyway, so I kind of hacked it together, ran the migrator. And then it was like, you cannot run the migrator if there are build errors. And I build it. Oh, and really? it's like, there's no like, errors. I'm like, okay, hmm. I don't know what's going on. So it just said, you know, please fix the build errors before you continue. I was like, there are no build errors. So again, I was like, ah, forget it. So the migrator did run on module A and B, but it was no good because it said there were errors. And on the big app target module C, it just it just crashed. So I couldn't even I didn't even get that far. I've never seen the migrator with my own eyes. Hmm. Bad. And Tim, mm. it sounded like you had some issues as well. Well, we have a huge code base, right? And and lots of dependencies all over the place. And and we're still we still have a large chunk of Objective C. So it was funny because sometimes the the compiler would complain about uh, having to add object you know, the at objc to Yeah, I got that methods that that weren't even being used in Objective C, which made which you know kind of like made us scratch our heads a bit, right? So well, there's a few but, target action maybe? Yeah, that's exactly right. That yeah. 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 There is Probably. no well, Greg, maybe you can tell me if, if I'm wrong here, but it seems like there is no way to do a pure Swift, uh, for example, uh, set up a UI bar button item. I was just going to say, yeah, button and gestures. Does gestures have yeah. a, a block, ba- uh, closure-based API now? I don't think so, right? Gestures don't, no. No. You can get one of those third-party libraries that fake wraps it. I think they use like associated objects and they have a dictionary or whatever and they keep all the closures for you uh, to kind of fake it to make it a closure API. But yeah, I don't think if you want to use gestures or buttons, then there is no way to do it, I don't think. Yeah. Got to do that at C. So luckily, um, the app is, for me, is mostly, I think it's pretty much 100% Swift. So I didn't really have to like, oh, this needs to be callable from object. I didn't have any of that. It was just target action. And the compiler tells you, you know, hey, this thing is invisible. So don't forget to do at opc and it even does a fix it. So at least I could use the fix it, but I still have to go through them kind of one by one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Greg, you mentioned Greg, you mentioned that uh, Xcode was reporting some errors that aren't there. Mm. I've actually seen something similar. I wonder if it's the same thing uh, where Xcode will report some errors and you'll fix them and rebuild and the build will work fine. And finish and run your app, but you'll still see the errors in the column on the left. It'll still list the errors. And the only way, it doesn't happen all the time, but just every once in a while this happens. And the only way I've found to get rid of the errors is to close the project and reopen the project. Anybody else seen that? I've seen something like that. I've not been able to successfully get it to go away by closing the project or closing Xcode. I've generally had to reboot the machine for some odd reason. Really? (laughs) It's terrible for me. Yikes. you have multiple copies of Xcode? Like you have eight, eight and nine running at the same time? 
me or or on the same machine at the same time? No, I I tend to stick to one. Uh, maybe during a transition, you know, like during yeah. dub dub time or or getting close to the release of a new operating system or something. But uh, generally, don't have both of them running at the same time. Yeah, well, I had a couple of products that I had to like on my home machine. I had to release. Yeah, before eleven shipped, I wanted to make sure I got some things squared away before the iPhone tens and all that kind of stuff became official. So I had a copy of eight and I had a copy of nine point oh three or one, I think, on my machine. And I had all kinds of trouble with the simulator. If I had started working in one project in eight and then I switched, you know, closed down and switched over to nine, I couldn't get the the simulators and and the, the you know the devices to sort of work together. Um, not the devices, but the simulators wouldn't like wouldn't. I think it wouldn't load in eight, but they would load in nine, kind of thing. So eventually, I just gave up and just you know trashed eight and just work continue to work in nine and now nine point one, right? So, but I but in that case, I would have to reboot the machine in order for eight to get its simulators back for some reason. I'm not sure. Maybe they're so closely written together that there was some some weirdness to it. But I always thought the simulators were actually in you know, as part of Xcode, like they're buried inside of Xcode, right, in the package. But uh, yeah, well, they're separate separate executables, but maybe they have the same path or something like that. And they're using the same Xcode developer folder or something like yeah. that. Maybe, yeah, maybe that makes sense. One simulator binary with a bunch of like images to try, like you know, running on the iPhone eight versus with the iPhone ten versus iPhone right. eight running on or right. iPhone seven running on iOS ten or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And there's that yeah. trick, like if you're running an older version, if you have a, like a new machine, like you've updated your phone to, to 11, but you still you were still running Xcode 8, for instance, mm. you could take the pack, the developer pack or the, the iPhone package out of um, Xcode 9 and move it over to 8 so you could still build to your new device, even though 8 officially didn't support 11, right? Mm. So Actually, Tim, everything. it's not it's not 11, it's XI. X- just kidding. Just <laughs> I think it's actually she, you know, like the uh, <laughs> right. president uh, of China. It's actually she. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. yeah. Well, all right. Just kidding. Well, that said, so hey, Jaime, do we have any ask at TJC? We have uh, a whole bunch here, which is great. Um, two of them centered on the Animoji thing, um, the, uh, not the karaoke, the um, airplane oh, the mode um, music yeah. video. And, and we were speculating on the air as to how that would work. So we have uh, two for that. One from Weihan who says, uh, to record Animoji karaoke on iPhone 10, use screen recorder to record the screen while the messages and emoji is not recording. You can record indefinitely as opposed to the um, was it 20 second limit, I think. Cut and overlay right, audio right. tracking your favorite video editing software. Uh, the second one was from uh, Kim Alberg saying that uh, I assumed longer and emoji recordings like the airplane mode video are made by screen recording the messages app rather than recording directly in it. And I think you can crop the video to only show the emoji section afterwards, but he didn't have a 10 to verify. And at the time I was speculating, I had uh, not received my iPhone 10, so I didn't even have the slightest clue how this actually worked. So uh, good to hear people talking about that right well i've got uh i've got a message here from joe let me see if i can pull it up uh get it the official here. insider word right official <laughs> insider word exactly yeah. how yeah he, he replied to the at mtjc podcast uh with a direct message so i think he's okay if i read it to you guys um wait wait he replied with a direct message and you want to read it yeah just well i'm gonna paraphrase what, what oh, okay. sort of really happened it was it was um hang on here he, i think once he stopped laughing of course um yeah he, he basically said with the with ios 11 you can capture your phone screen as long as you wish, right? Um, and that's what Dave, Dave Wiskus is the one who actually made the uh, the video. Um, so yeah, it does have a 20 second time, time limit, but that's what they did. They basically recorded it. Um, I'm not sure if he did it on the phone, but you can record on the phone, of course, right? Um, that's part of iOS 11. And then they basically took it and they put, they did each character and they put it into Final Cut Pro and assembled the video uh, with the various pieces and, you know, the various singers that they knew they had in it. And what was cool about it was, which I, I don't think really was covered much, maybe we might have mentioned it last week, but 
this was a uh, a debut of a song that they had already in the can, but they hadn't published it. And the only place you would have heard it maybe if you saw them play at one of their gigs during the summer, but they hadn't released this. So this was an official launch of, of the song and the video. So it's kind of, you know, it's like, uh, you know, I've always sort of maintained that Jar Jar Binks was a character that was important in film history because he was sort of a character that was in a movie like one of, one of the early animated, fully animated characters, right? So rendered 3D. So in the same sense that this was the first sort of Animoji uh, video, music video that we, we know of, right? And it was also a debut of a song. It's kind of an interesting story. Yeah. How many Animojis have you made, Tim? Uh, I only made one on the show and that was the one time that we, I, I had the phone and we were talking about it. I, I didn't even know how to do it and we kind of worked it out when we were on the show and a couple of episodes ago, I guess, right? So what's the uh, what's the third uh, Ask MTJC, I mean? The third one is from Joshua Jacquif. He says, uh, all the discussions about Face ID, the last couple episodes has me wondering how soon advertising on free apps will require the user's attention to continue usage. Mm, that's uh, I think yeah. my first thought was like, oh, that's interesting. I mean, it wouldn't be Face ID per se, uh, but it would be the face tracking API. And I honestly have not looked into it um, well at all. So I don't know the, the limits of that, but I don't recall if it gives you the um, like an attention indicator the way that mm. uh, Face ID has its own uh, attention setting. Does, does anybody know the answer to that? I feel like that's also one of those private things that's sort of behind yeah. the uh, behind the Apple thing. I've been looking into sort of what the how much information the depth sensor gives you, and I think it's uh, they're not giving they're not giving up the full goods, you know. So I don't I don't think attention is in there. Okay. No, but I mean, but the, the, in order to, in order to evoke um, Face ID, you do have to be paying, looking at the phone. So you do have to have if if it's in attention mode, right? So they could use the Face ID, you know, local authentication framework to to see whether or not you're actually looking at the device, and and uh, you know maybe that's you know they they can why couldn't they put a lock in that says you have to look at the app to run it, right? Have you seen the Black Mirror episode 15 Million Merits? There's sort of something similar where <laughs> you know they play advertising and then the guy like closes his eyes and it's like, please pay attention to the screen. Please pay attention. And it like makes a loud alarm or something. If you remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, also, remember remember the book 1984, right? Mm-hmm. That was in no. there as well. Very big. I don't think you have to pay attention. It was just watching you all. Oh, when there's like exercising over. But no, it doesn't actually make you watch it though, right? I thought that they uh, had... Uh... Well, I don't remember. Okay. Maybe I'm remembering <laughs> wrong. But I thought it right, was. Right. I think even if the, like an explicit, you know, Boolean call that says like, is this user paying attention, you know, to, yeah. the, to the phone route, even if that wasn't available. From what I've seen of the face tracking stuff, it looks like it's it looks like it's high enough quality where you could tell if the face was reasonably close to you know being oriented towards the phone. Like that wouldn't tell you what the eyes are doing. You know, as I said that one time, um, if you're doing the the Greg Hio side glance, uh, okay, so you you <laughs> trick the app, but your face is still going to be there, right? You're not going to be looking in your peripheral vision all the time. So I, I would not find it unreasonable for apps to start doing that um, yeah. in terms of a technical capability. You could definitely write the algorithm yourself, right? Like I think like iOS, the face detection thing even tells you like like whether they're smiling or not. I thought it said whether the eyes were open or not, like for the blink detection while you take a photo. So you could look for eyes open, you know, face reasonably in or eyes reasonably in center of the, you know, the frame or something like that. And then if you got really fancy, you know, you could of course write your own algorithm to like look at the eyes and find the pupils and make sure they're like centered in the eye. And that means they're looking straight ahead or something like that. But yeah. Definitely, probably not Apple API, but you could definitely write it yourself. Yeah, there was a, I saw a tweet actually last week uh, where a guy had made a video of um, like superimposing a mask onto his face um, using Face ID or using using the, the the tracking. I don't know if he'd somehow broken into it somehow or whatever, but yeah, it's, it's, and I think the Animoji mechanism is the same way. 
Like it, it, uh, it follows, it tracks your face and watches your movements and smiling, laughing, talking, whatever. Right. Um, so yeah, it was, I'll have to find the link for that, uh, and put it in the show notes for this, uh, dude. Um, who did like, it was look like an augmented reality thing where, but he was doing a selfie and then the selfie, the mask was on his face so kind of, and he was moving his head around and it was tracking his face as well. So it must be possible. Okay. <laughs> All right. So we have some follow up here, Jamie, uh, sorry, Jamie, Jamie, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's only taken three years. I finally called you Jamie. Um, hi, May. So uh, you got uh, something here about uh, the uh, tips I gave out last week? Yes, you had a, a whole bunch of them related to build optimization tips. I, I think they might have been Swift related or, or, or adjacent to the very least. Um, yeah. The one that I chose to try out was the new Xcode uh, preview build system. And it seemed to do pretty pretty nicely. Um, as an aside, I, I didn't retry Xcode 9.0 to Mark's question about um, like were things faster, and uh, it definitely was faster because I do remember uh, at one point it was something like seven minutes for a clean rebuild, um, just absurd uh, on my machine. Uh, in this case, the non-optimized um, sort of normal Xcode build system took four minutes, and with the new build system, that brings it down to three. So still not lightning fast, but from a clean rebuild for a mixed Objective C and Swift project, shaving off a minute is real nice. Isn't that like twenty five percent improvement? Yes. Wait. <laughs> now I'm feeling bad because I've 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 I your math on there and it's getting kind of late for me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No worries. Yeah. Late for you. Holy cow. Well, that was good. All right. <laughs> Happy to help. All right. So, um, yeah, I was, I was sort of watching the the wires uh, this weekend. Uh, of course, they talked about. Um, I wonder if it was on Spark again on CBC where where I was tweaked to this, but uh, the uh, or I can't remember what the source was, but somebody mentioned or I'd heard somewhere about the fact that uh, what Uber had done was. Was uh, hard coded names and passwords into into their uh, code, um, but this Bloomberg article here talks about how the exploit worked. Um, apparently, the hackers got into uh, Uber's um, GitHub account uh, online, and then they found the, the uh, way to get the data out of the out of uh, Uber's um, control. Right, so they, they by using hard coded uh, finding hard coded uh, usernames and passwords that were in the in the code, and that's how they managed to break in. So there was a big story on that. Um, so our friends at Uber, once again, um, acting up. Yeah, that's like, like a common enough mistake that you, you see people make where, um, you know, people forget to put stuff in their git ignore file. So some something that's not part of the code, it would actually happen at runtime, gets checked into GitHub and it's sort of there forever, yeah, regardless of what you're, you're doing uh, to try to resolve it after the fact. Um, and sort of tangentially related would be stuff like um, GitHub has started to do more related to alerting people that, hey, it looks like you have this third-party project that has, you know, a thousand vulnerabilities and maybe you should update to the newest one or switch to a totally different one. Oh, really? And I wonder if they'll start doing more of that for, hey, it looks like we detected AWS secret keys inside of your your checked-in project. I was going to say, they sort of do that already, I heard. I mean, they they have, the bad guys have bots that just look at all commits and they look for things that look like AWS keys and then they'll steal them and start, you know, mining Bitcoin or whatever on your account. But I believe I heard that uh, someone accidentally checked in their GitHub access token or whatever, and then GitHub automatically disables the token. So I heard that they were doing that. So that's just for GitHub themselves, because obviously they can't go and disable your AWS credentials. But I think that that seems like a a really smart next step for them to do. Say, Like Jaime said, you know, this looks like a whatever, Heroku secret key or whatever, AWS or whatever, and just give you a warning after you you push it. Mm -hmm. Or they scold you for storing magic numbers and stuff like that. That too, yeah. But again, I heard for GitHub they automatically 
disable it for you, which is nice. Nice, nice, yeah. Yeah. yeah so, so Jaime, you were saying like, like even if you put it up there and then you realized a second later that you should not have done that and you remove it, you think it's still cached somewhere? I mean, the the Git history will still have it. I mean, you might not have oh, it in the latest yeah. commit, but it's like, oh, look, well, that file is still there if I go back far enough. Yeah, you could like oh, force push yeah. your change and undo it. I think that might remove it. Yeah, yeah. that might do it. And you could, you, you know, reset. again, yeah, right. reset it locally, force push, and that will overwrite history. But you never know. Or, you know, those bots are very insidious and they, I don't know, maybe they're scraping everything and they're finding it anyway. So you never know. But if you don't know that it happened and you have a thousand commits later after that, then you're kind of screwed. You can't uh, can't go back to that room that yeah. one commit very easily. But, you know, you would also think, too, that like large companies, you know, um, I used to work with some big retailers and they would get hit all the time with uh, with people trying to figure out their, you know, web presence. They, you know, the web servers would constantly be getting hammered by, you know, bots looking for, for you know, whether they had like a WordPress admin config set, you know, left, left lying around or that kind of stuff, right? So I would imagine that larger, you know, you know, the targets, the Walmarts, the Ubers, the Apples, the whatever, whoever out there um, are going to get looked at, right? So on a regular basis, like more often than say yeah. your, yourself or myself, or what do we, like I mean, you said last week, what do we got to hide, right? But bigger companies have a lot more to hide, a lot more to lose, right? So, But you, you got to think that, you know, big enough companies will be pretty careful about making sure that all their credentials and passwords are, are completely secure and safe, right? Especially for things like root access. That's true. That's true. Well, you know, I guess clearly not, right? Segway, segway, yeah, segway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're not quite there yet. We have one more thing. To get there. Actually, two more things. So, Jaime, you got another, you have an Xcode, uh, or sorry, an iTunes comment here about the holiday schedule? Yes, this is a follow-up to this time last year where, um, no surprise. <laughs> follow-up follow goes a year back. Is that what you're trying to do? Yeah. <laughs> was this a, let me talk about this two years ago just too, Jaime. Just want to clarify. And three right. years ago? On a long enough time scale, everything is follow-up, Greg. You know this. It's our annual We're professional podcasters here. <laughs> Uh, Third annual announcement. Here we go. Right. So um, as usual, the uh, iTunes Connect will be on uh, hiatus during the December timeframe. In this case, December 23rd to the 27th, you will not be able to have any of your apps change in any reasonable way. Uh, you can't submit, prove, um, schedule. Well, I guess you could do scheduling, but you can't like, like, oh no, there's a terrible fix. Like, well, no hot fixes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Hope you hope you have a really stable build in there before the holiday season. So keep That's that in a mind. Good point. Yeah. I'll be writing an email in the morning. You'd watch. All right. And my last uh, pro tip is a colleague of mine, Eric, at work reminded me, I was trying to do some uh, installs for QA today. We're trying to debug a build that wasn't working or an IPA that wasn't working. And uh, I'd forgotten, I, I couldn't, you know, I had updated my iTunes. Uh, so I couldn't, you know, sideload the uh, the app for some reason onto my device. And then uh, Eric reminded me that you can use Xcode 9. I'm not sure if we talked about this on the show, but in Xcode 9, you can go to the devices pane and uh, plug in your device. And then you can use a, there's a little plus uh, icon there below where it says installed apps and you can upload an IPA using Xcode 9. So if you hadn't, if we hadn't talked about that before, that's a, sort of a pro tip, people. Comments? No. Good to know. I mean, do. hashtag pro tip. <laughs> right. Okay. I know we talked about that. Mark and I have talked about that um, on the show, but I didn't know if he'd heard of that trick as well. Mark's still there. Yeah, we talked about it. Oh, did we? Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. That's why I asked. Who All installs right. IPAs anyway? Isn't everyone using TestFlight by now? Not necessarily, no. Hmm. Um, but yes, maybe we are, maybe we're not. Um, anyway, 
anyway, uh, so so yeah, so the, the big story, of course, today is uh, well, it came out yesterday actually, was that um, somehow uh, in High Sierra, Apple has released a, a build that has the root user with a null password, which basically means you can switch to to the root user, uh, in, and the way that people found this was through the users and groups uh, access, um, clicking on the little lock when you go to users and groups. Normally, you have to authenticate to unlock it to make changes, and people have found that if you put root in and no password, it would unlock the uh, control panel, um, which is kind of disturbing because, uh, you know, it's obviously a huge security issue. And uh, as of this writing, um, this is like uh, November 29th at 11 o'clock at night, around 6 o'clock this evening or so, Apple uh, released a patch, um, which was announced on The Verge, um, to patch this. And this is for uh, Xcode 13.1. Sorry, not Xcode 13.1. It's for, what are we, Mac OS? Mac OS. <laughs> Yeah, and who can keep up, you know? Maybe we should call it XI or whatever Mark said. Chi. Chi. Yeah. Well, that's iOS, so, but yes. Uh, yeah, I, I, and I don't know if, if you guys know the history of the root user on um, on, IO, on on OS X or, o, sorry, OS X. <laughs> OS X, I think you mean. OS X. OS X, yes. OS, OS X, okay. yes. Um, yeah. The root user has always been there. It's an invisible account, but Apple had disabled it, right, from the, from the, uh, X, so the, the beta version of of OS 10 um, back in the early early days, like in you know Panther or Jaguar, or even Cougar, we used to go into uh, there was like an open directory utility, and you'd go in there and you could you could enable the root user and go and do all kinds of nefarious things. But you were supposed to use Super User Dude or SU Do as SU Do as most people know it, SU Do or sudo or whatever. But it's, it's Super User Do. In fact, there was even a, a tool that somebody had written an app Mac app called sudo spelled P S E U D O uh, that allowed you to do the same kind of thing and um so you really weren't supposed to use the root user and but it but you had to set a password to for it when you first went to use it so the, like i said the account has always been there on os 10 but you had to you know apply a password before you could start using it and do you know root, root user things which is common in in most unixes and linuxes um or linux however you like to pronounce it java java whatever um but uh yeah so what do you guys think about that like i tried it on my machines and now i've monkeyed around with my machines for many many years years and I've I've for the most part my profile has been upgraded over the years from one machine to another like I use the migration tools and stuff like that um, and I usually run servers on my Macs anyway because I do some web publishing as well as you know database work and that kind of thing so I tried the uh, the trick on most of on all of my sh- machines and I have not yeah I'm running uh, 13.1 and I've not been able to switch to the root user without a password so obviously there's a bin a password set or, or the the thing doesn't work on me my machine but but Greg you were saying just before the show that you tried it and sure enough it worked for you right uh sure enough it does work for me yes i went to the yeah users and groups you can go to any preference pane that has the lock in the lower left that you have to unlock and then uh yeah i took a movie i made an animated gif and i'm just updating i got two macs here at home so i'm just updating the second one uh but yeah it totally works i can get in i heard that if you have screen sharing turned on under the sharing preferences then somebody can get in as root uh via screen oh, really sharing. yeah yeah so make sure uh, i mean this episode is going to come out on like saturday or something right so i hope by then everybody has hopefully by then everyone will have patched it very very small you don't even need to restart i think it just does extra extra really really disabling of the root account so it's a very small patch so yeah hopefully everyone is uh up to date on that by the time this uh this is released yeah there was some interesting discussion i don't know if you had this in mind as well tim about sort of whether the person who found it well first of all somebody found a forum post from like what two weeks ago or something yeah two weeks ago yeah yeah somebody mentioned it but for this person um who publicized it yesterday like did they do the right 
thing by tweeting it out publicly. Sort of the traditional security approaches, you know, you contact whatever security at apple.com or whatever, and you say, hey, I found an exploit and here are the details and you give them a chance to fix it. And then usually it's like, well, when it's like researchers doing it, then once they patch it, then they, or if enough time has passed that obviously they've forgotten or whatever, and you want to publicize it then after some time, then you like release a paper and you say like, here's how we analyzed it and here's how it works. And it's now patched or whatever. But in this case, whoever it was just kind of tweeted, hey, at Apple, do you know about this thing? I can break into any computer and just kind of tweeted yeah, that. Yeah, so yeah. I've seen arguments back and forth on whether the that's that, you know, yeah. good or bad or whatever. What do you guys think? Yeah, I don't know. I actually heard about it from, I'm trying to find the uh, the gentleman who, who I found it out from. Um, somebody I met at WWDC back in 2013, 2014. And he's, um, his name is Rasmus Sten. And he's, I believe he's in the Netherlands, I want to say. Sorry, but he's at P-A-J-P. Um, and he tweeted out about it last night um, or 24 hours ago, last night his time. And he was just off the bed uh, when he uh, when he discovered it. Um, and that's where I found out about it from. But uh, yeah, I was a little, a little taken back when you could just do pseudo password root and, and oh, that's how you fix it, actually, but to set a password. But um, yeah, that's crazy talk, you know? Yeah. Well, the scary thing about all this is that even if you've patched, uh, we don't know who knew about this for... Or what they planted or, on our machines. Yeah. 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 Anyone, anyone who knew about this could have, could have done a lot of damage and, and just not mentioned it and might have done something to your machine without you even knowing it. Uh, and patching the machine won't, won't fix that. It's a little bit scary. True. Yeah. No, I, I have a, a friend who's, who's, you know, the guru in Unix and, and he, he just sort of said to me once, you know, he could run things on your machine and you never even know about it. And I tend to believe him. Right. So, hmm. yeah. If you have root access for sure. Yeah. yeah Cause you can run hidden processes and, you know, take ownership of stuff and would never, but you'd wonder why 10, 10, you know, I, I've seen this before though, when I was, you know, back in the service days and helping people out, there were some exploits where you would look at somebody's computer and they would, you know, you'd see like they had like no room on their hard drive and you would find that there was uh, something that was installed on the drive that was just chewing up space. And, uh, and it was like an invisible folder with a, you know, named with a dot or something like that. Right. That was just uh, cranking up space. And I'm not sure if it was a jokey file that somebody had put on there or whatever, but, uh, and it was like, you know, usually through some sort of, you know, shareware thing that somebody had stalled or whatever, or disgruntled employee kind of thing, leaving the company kind of planted this thing. But uh, I've seen weird things like that before where, you know, um, and they're, they're really hard to sort of trace down and find out what they are, right? Or where they are, what they're taking up space for, right? So it's always it's always good to every once in a while run the activity monitor and see what's running on your machine and see. True, if true. Yeah, true. Yeah. Yeah. And I have a couple of utilities. There's one called Disk Drive, Disk, uh, hang on, what's it called? But it's a disk utility that, that looks at the like the actual space on your drive and identifies which user owns it and you know often I'll find you know uh, an account that I might have was using for a test or something like that and I'll see that it's got a large chunk of my disk space like maybe 10% of the space is being used up just by having that account sitting there and it's a little disconcerting when you see it and you don't know what it what it what it is or what it's doing right so let's see if I can find that tool that's an app I got from the Mac App Store back in the day so it's called Disk Space Analyzer so and there's another one, another one I use called Disk Diet and and basically just these things map your drive and tell you what's going on as well as Mark sort of mentioned the activity viewer to sort of see what's going on on your drive. So there's so many different angles here. So uh, one I think is mistakes do happen, but not like this. I don't, I don't think this is an acceptable thing. This is such a basic sort of um, basic flaw. There's nothing exotic about it. Um, it's the sort of thing where I've seen others in the media say, Oh, well, this is like an unusual thing. It's like, not really like good quality, um, you know, testers, analysts, and uh, S-Dust would almost certainly
certainly would have had these tests written uh, either manual or automated. It doesn't really matter to me which. Um, and it, it, it's very clear to me that very similar to the full disk encryption, um, was it full disk encryption? Whatever. It was like file a disk vault. encryption uh, file vault. Thank you. Thank you. That we saw not too long ago. Like these are really basic things that, uh, you know, they can talk about like, well, we need to revamp our development process. Like, yeah, but maybe you should hire some testers too. I yeah, QA you, would be good. Yeah. It, it, this is, this is one of those things that is trivially solvable by money, right? It's like, um, let's go hire a bunch of really good people. Uh, just throw boatloads of money at, at, at top quality people. Uh, given that we are the like number one uh, by just about any measure uh, company in the world, except by actual headcount for you know developing products and stuff, right? Apple is like, as we're told time and again, very resource um, constrained. But that's only because they choose to be, right? Like, there's, I don't think you're going to see any sort of like, well, like, how does it impact our, our our culture if you add people who are there to make sure that stuff like this is taken care of, right? This isn't doubling the design team. This isn't doubling product or de- you know development. The QA folks, I've, I've never seen a place that was upset to have too many uh, quality assurance people. I've, it always seems like it's a it's a resource that's hard to argue for. But that's that's not something that, that Apple has to worry about, right? Like this would not even show up anywhere on, on their budget lines. The other thing is, um, I guess the responsible disclosure that, that Greg was sort of talking about, uh, even though, <laughs> as mentioned earlier, the uh, the flaw was already freely available in Apple's own developer forums. It's not as if Apple, like as far as I know, regularly trolls through there looking for uh, security bugs, right? And so I assume that you know it's on there. It, an Apple engineer may or may not have read that forum, and and it's actually pretty deep in there. It's not like the first answer, so I wouldn't be surprised if somebody saw the thread and then never saw the actual comment that exposes this whole bug. Yeah, but they do have they do have moderators that that hang around on the forums because I've you know I've gotten responses mm-hmm. back from them from time to time. Sure, but that doesn't mean that uh, I mean I, I I assume they're largely looking for hey let's make sure nobody's giving out NDA type secrets or uh, nobody's linking to pornography or or cussing somebody else out or you know that sort of civility checks not really like oh man like there's like a super secret bug here sort of thing and I think I don't think it was uh, responsibly disclosed to Apple once somebody realized oh holy smokes this is actually like a legit bug I think rather than tweeting at Apple hey you know out in the open Apple here is this bug and therefore everybody else immediately knows what it is and can now exploit it I think it would have been better to say hey Apple uh, just realized that there's this huge bug can we move to DM on Twitter to for us to start sharing information about what this is. I think that would have been the responsible way to handle it. And uh, kudos to Apple for like turning uh, everything on a dime and having a, a patch out for this so quickly, even as flawed as that patch is, and that it you know apparently disables file sharing or, or reduces functionality in some way. Like that that sucks, right? But at least the huge flaw is is covered. So it's sort of the you know lesser of two evils with regard to that fix. Yeah, it's true. They, they did get that out. I mean, like I said, within 24 hours of my finding out about it, um, I let the you know the the various security people around the building know about it as well. So, but yeah, like within within less than a working day uh, from of my time, they had uh, had patched it, right? So that's yeah. that's a pretty quick turnaround. Very very quick because you, you would want to make sure you didn't make things completely worse, right? I mean, gr- granted, it seems like they encountered another bug, um, which is unfortunate, but oh, the, f- uh, the, the file sharing thing is yeah. not the same as oh look, we you know deleted all your data. Whoops, sucks to be you. Or <laughs> we've encrypted it in a way that it cannot be decrypted because we we mismatched keys or something. Um, so it's, it's pretty good they were able to fix that so quickly. And uh, on a personal level, I, I was just about to upgrade to High Sierra. I was like, oh, it's about time. Maybe, you know, 
maybe I'll do it on the weekend, you know, after uh, or, or the day after um, recording this podcast, just to make sure if anything goes wrong, I have enough time to, to get my system up in order. Um, so now I'm going to wait for the patch for this patch before I um, I upgrade. Still running a Sierra on my personal machine. Mm, yeah. Services <laughs> uh, are right, doesn't it? <laughs> I would really like to see the diff for the fix, you know? Are we talking like something was commented out for testing or, um, you know, not checking whether the thing is disabled? I don't know, but I would really like to see what it is because this is a small change. And I remember for, what was that other fix that was recent and somebody actually pulled out the differences between it and they found, um, what was that? It was kind of relatively recently in the last few months. Yeah, that was related to the file vault thing where somebody had reverse engineered it and said, oh, look, it was a copy and paste error for some dictionary value. Right. Right. The password hint showed the yeah, password, yeah. right? And then they did, they, they reverse engineered the diff and found it. So I hope somebody does something similar with this because I'm just really curious on exactly what it was. Yeah. Well, I mean, like it's as simple as, uh, the, um, uh, as Rasmus said in his tweet to me yesterday that all you have to do is, you know, sudo paswd root and then set a password for it, right? To, to patch your own machine if you want to do it. Right? So just as simple as setting up root password. Well, now the App Store app is bugging me to install the security update again because it just gave me a notification. So good old App Store app. Nice. Maybe whoever fixed this root bug can, you know, spend an hour and replace the intern that Jaime is always talking about. The one summer intern who works on the App Store app to uh, fix this updating mechanism so it doesn't keep bugging me to right. reinstall updates. Has it told you your iPhone is right. <laughs> and you, how are you enjoying it yet? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll get an email saying, have you upgraded to High Sierra? It's awesome. <laughs> that went out like yesterday. That would have been, that would have been perfect timing with the marketing the system there. out there. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. We have hundreds and hundreds of patches in, in the, the new, the new off software, except for this one. Yeah. So I think the guy, whoever the guy was who made this, the person who was who made this change, uh, will be forming a new company with the guy who let his daughter film the iPhone 10 in the. Oh, Apple that's true. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're I both looking for work. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. <laughs> Maybe she can vlog about it. Yeah. All right. I wonder, Too soon. Yeah, Too I wonder, soon. I wonder if uh, <laughs> I wonder how she's doing with her vlog. Um, all right. So uh, yeah, so that's that's what your second. Like, here is about the same thing, right, Harmony from Ars Technica? Yeah, so, uh, I mean, it was a rather quick story. It was, oh, this problem exists. And then I had a second link here that was like, as helpfully discovered on Apple's own help forum. Uh, and then you also have the link that uh, they've updated the critical fix and, and the issue that it has with file sharing. So more to come on this, I'm sure, but... Um, Wait, this yeah. is from June, June 8th, 2017? Well, the original thread, but the, the helpful fix wasn't until November, uh, about a couple of weeks ago. Okay, I'm sorry, but like June 8th, somebody discovered that, you know, I'm, I hope you have know how to fix this. I'm updating High Sierra all of a sudden. So somebody encountered a bug and then oh. somebody said, hey, like, with their accounts and, and not being able to, like, the accounts not oh, migrating. Oh, regular accounts, but, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Like, like their accounts got downgraded from admins to um, to normal users and somebody yeah, said, I, hey, I found this helpful tip and I guess that person did realize, hey, you, you just broke into the system to make that happen. That's not a legitimate fix, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's a good workaround as a user, but uh, you would think that hopefully that person would uh, would have realized the um, implication of what they were doing and separately uh, done responsible disclosure to Apple. Right, right. Yeah, I've, I've seen that happen before. I'm just reading this here about the... Because if you, if you want to set your machine back to, to, to be 
beginning of time or as factory as it were in order to get the you know the the utility that runs at the very beginning of the setup you delete this file called dot apple setup done but then you also normally go in and clean out your uh, user accounts i'm just looking at through the threads here to see what these guys are doing they're all using single user mode which is how you get into the command line on your your mac yeah so i well you know i guess i should say here if you're really concerned about this you probably should set a firmware password on your machine so that nobody can make changes to your machine while it's booting in this mode because you know that's that's the other thing about uh, you can reset admin or account passwords from uh, by starting up in recovery mode as well so if you are concerned about this look into setting up a firmware password on your machine that's my psa for you folks hmm interesting stuff yeah so if you're running if you're in an environment where you're running a managed like in a um, you know mdm or edm enterprise device management uh, scenario normally there's a certificate that gets installed on your machine and, and it disables the firmware firmware password and so you can't really go in and change the device uh, those are kind of helpful hints for people out there in larger groups who are concerned about this or maybe you can always ping me on Twitter at T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A and I will point out some of this stuff if you're looking for it. Scary stuff. Okay, so what's next, Jaime? Yeah, this is uh, something that came out of Amazon's reInvent conference, um, a conference that sort of celebrates a lot of stuff and, and introduces a lot of stuff that Amazon has for uh, AWS, Amazon Web Services, and they've released tons of stuff, just way too much for us to cover um, decently in like one segment. But one thing I wanted to point out uh, to bring to people's attention because I think it probably resonates with our audience is um, Amazon Sumerian is a browser-based toolkit that helps people build VR and AR uh, spaces, experiences, for lack of a better term, uh, in a browser and lets you um, not only target different platforms like uh, the Oculus Rift, the HTC Vibe, uh, Google Daydream. It also integrates apparently with um, not only sort of like the normal models that you would use for this. And uh, speaking a little bit out of my depth, I really wish uh, I had some experience uh, chatting with Tammy more about this. Um, the They've also got this uh, like animated characters feature that you can create that uses um, Amazon's Lex and Poly for uh, text to speech, speech to text um, translation. That uh, seems really powerful. I, I mean, being able to do this sort of stuff in a browser just seems really freaking cool. So oh, something yeah. to, to keep in mind for folks on the indie side in particular. This is the Sumerian thing you're talking about? Yes, I think it came from an acquisition that Amazon had um, within the last six months to a year. I think oh, this does look cool. Yeah, I dabble a lot in, in like three D rendering apps and stuff like this, especially with the 3D printer and my, my earlier forays into AR and animation and stuff like that. Oh, cool stuff. I used to make screensavers for my Mac back in 3D. I had a little Santa Claus and a little with a reindeer that would orbit around your, your computer screen. That was back in the early classic Mac days. Was a Windows user, you know, <laughs> back probably around similar times you're, you're talking about. And a popular screensaver was the like the 3D maze, it's sort of like a Doom style, like the original yeah, Doom yeah, style. Yeah, yeah. 3D or well, pseudo 3D uh, red bricks and it would just kind of go through. I'm shocked that nobody has done that in an AR kit environment. I mean, really? You're just like walking around your living room, like trying to get through the maze that's you know, procedurally generated. Like, there you go. There's a million dollar app idea right there. Oh, yeah. That's cool. That's cool. App. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe labyrinth. You could do labyrinth, you know? AR. Stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. Cool. A little, yeah. Maybe I'll work on that. Mm-hmm. Cool. So, all right. Um, so, I guess we're at the pick part of the show, aren't we? Are we? I think so. Yeah. Looks right. like it. So, hey, Mark, you got a pick for us this week. What is it? You have a pick. It's uh, something that's in iOS 11 uh, that is pretty cool, I think. Uh, so one of the one of the things with iOS has always been historically that you could never change your, your Wi-Fi network from inside an app. The only way to change the network is to leave the app, go to the settings app, change the network, and come back in. And for some apps, you know, that's kind of important if you're trying to connect to a, a device uh, that, that it has Wi-Fi uh, and, you know, you want 
to get off your, you know, your local network and directly connect to that, or you want to directly connect to, you know, some kind of a peer-to-peer Wi-Fi network. You couldn't do it through the through an app. Uh, you have to, like I said, go out into settings. And uh, this was, you know, one of the issues that a lot of people have, have had with with iOS, especially some of our Android friends who who uh, have always uh, given us a hard time about things like that. But uh, it turns out that now in iOS 11, there's something called NE Hotspot Configuration. And this was actually introduced or was announced back at WWDC uh, in one of the networking sessions. But it really, they spent like literally like one minute talking about it or, or two minutes talking about it. And I completely missed it. Didn't even know about it, that it was there until until just discovered it just very recently. And with this thing called any hotspot configuration, you can actually change your Wi-Fi network from inside the app. Sure. And it's actually real simple. It takes like two lines of code. Uh, the only restriction is that you have to know about the name of the network or the SSID of the network and the password inside the app. So you can't scan for a Wi-Fi network. In other words, you can't scan and see what all the networks are in the in the area and choose one like you do in the settings app. You have to know specifically what network you want to connect to. But if you do, uh, then it's real simple. It's real trivial. It's, like I said, it's like two lines, two or three lines to, to connect. So I think that's a real step forward for certain types of apps. Uh, and it's a real nice new feature uh, that uh, Apple has has given us. And I think it's kind of ironic uh, that um, supposedly, according to an Android developer that I spoke to, uh, Android has locked down on that. So you can't actually do that right now in, in certain really? cases. Hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, the specific case is if you're talking to a Wi-Fi network that is not connected to the internet, then it will connect and then drop you after five seconds or whatever. So if, so you can't do like a peer-to-peer network or a local Wi-Fi network that's not connected to the internet. You can't use this bad. And that might uh, that might limit some applications. But but it is kind of ironic that now that Apple has opened this up, and, and I, I don't think it's correlated, but now that even though Apple has opened this up, Android has cracked down. But whatever that is, I think it's great that Apple has responded to uh, the needs of, of the community and requests from the community and, and has given us a new feature. Yeah, this is super convenient because I mean, like, you know, when a lot of QA situations or, or even in developing, we have a lot of devices that, you know, we don't necessarily have SIMs for. We don't, you know, have like, you know, LTE accounts for them, right? So they're just sitting there and they have to test via Wi-Fi. So the ability to basically mm-hmm. pick a Wi-Fi network, like you may want to test, test different scenarios in your in your development environment. You might want to switch around from one network to another. To be able to do that on the fly right. would be kind of cool. You could like build a little menu that you know, pop down and switch around. And, and if you write it in a, in a debug, with surround it with debug, you'd have it not ship when you're sending out your uh, release product, right? Yeah, Unless that's right. Just don't check it, check those uh, don't check those usernames and passwords or SSID right, passwords right. <laughs> <Get over. laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of like you know. I've even noticed that when you go by an Apple store, that the Apple uh, Wi-Fi network is always available and and just automatically connects. Yeah, Apple's been able to do it forever. They just didn't ever let us yeah, do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess it was actually a hint that that was there uh, when that thing about the QR codes in the Photos app. Yeah. Uh, not the Q, not what was it the Photos app where where there was there was a thing when iOS 11 first came out where you could you could use the cam oh it was in the cameras app not the Photos app in the camera app if you scanned a QR QR code, it would give you the option of switching to a URL opening, yeah. and the QR code has a network 
in there, it would let you op- it would open the network directly for you, connect you directly to the right, network. Right, right, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, so that was kind of a clue that I probably should have picked up on, but didn't. That there was an API in there somewhere to do this kind of thing. But uh, like I said, I I completely missed it at WWDC time and just found out about it recently. Mm. Yeah, that's one of those there's zero configuration sort of ideas, right? You like you if somebody comes yeah. into your office rather than telling them what the SSID password is, you just send them a QR code or or put a printed QR code on the wall for them to scan, right? That's the idea. Right, that's right. Yeah. So you can build a drone to fly around and look for QR codes. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's gotta have a drone, doesn't it? These days. Yeah. Maybe a little machine learning, a little AR yeah, and a drone. Sure. That's about yeah. uh, twenty seventeen, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As long as it's using safe area, that's all that matters, right? True enough. Yeah. All right. So uh, my pick here is a, a, a an interesting one. I was actually was digging around on my. I have an app on my phone that that looks for uh, tweets from years gone by. And, like it looks at this anniversary date and it'll go back two, three years, whatever. And I forgot how long ago it was, but um, I tweeted out about egg freckles. And I don't know if do you, do you guys know what the reference to egg freckles is. I with, do know what that is. In? I may. Mark, yeah. have you ever heard no, it, I don't. It, it, it didn't no. dawn on me what it is. So, well, there's a, and there's also a Simpsons joke about this, but uh, when the Newton was out in 93 or so, um, it took a lot of abuse because it, it, it had handwriting recognition and it was actually pretty, pretty good. I mean, I had a couple, I still have a couple of Newtons and, uh, you know, it, you had to sort of, it didn't really read perfectly, but it did a really good job, much better than, than a lot of technologies do today. But it had a couple of foibles and one of them was um, that it would misinterpret what you were trying to say. And so um, Gary Trudeau, who's the writer of the Doonesbury cartoon, uh, created this cartoon called, or this this one episode about um, one of the characters using a Newton. And he uh, he wrote Egg Freckle. He was writing something in his, his uh, Newton and it came out Egg Freckles. So the developers at Apple, in, when they released a, the first patch or one of, those, one of the early patches of built in this, this Easter egg into the Newton operating system that if you typed in, uh, one of the things, one of the things I should a bit more backstory about this is if you wrote the word toothpaste on the uh, on the Newton and you highlighted the word and you tapped down on it and like did like almost like a force touch and it would have an action menu. You could apply an action to it. It would create a to do list for you and put toothpaste on the to do list. So it had that kind of you know smarts to it, right? So the the joke was he typed in egg freckles in, or so if you typed in egg freckles into a Newton operating system, it would show you the Gary Trudeau cartoon of egg freckles, right? So that's where the story. Of egg freckles comes from but what this egg is a website that uh, by a, a newton fan who's basically written his writes his blog and he latest update was november 2nd he writes it in a pseudo newton operating system on a in a browser so it looks just like a newton at the, it's got the home button and the extra buttons and the star button which i think was the action button um and a bunch of different blobs and you can just click on it and it looks on on your either on your, your ipad or your uh, browser it looks just like a Newton operating system. In fact, he claims to still be running around with a Newton himself. So, and uh, there's a whole um, user group of people still writing code for Newtons and still supporting Newtons to this day. So, um, as a you know avid Newton fan, I was saddened when they when Jobs came back and killed the Newton program because it was it was a pretty pretty neat operating system. Um, it would be interesting to see where where they had taken it if they kept with it. But uh, you know, it was a Scully project as opposed to a Jobs project, so it had to go right. But yeah, it was a really cool operating. System. So I don't know if you guys had a chance to poke around on this website at all. No? Actually, he's got a picture. If you click on the um, extras button, it talks about the, the Gary Trudeau uh, joke there. Extras. Oh, at the bottom there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's the cartoon. <laughs> 
I like it. That black on that uh, dark gray on green. Yeah. It's very readable. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it was, you know, uh, it had very little, it was that sort of um, indigo sort of, uh, you know, Timex indigo sort of phosphorescent color. I was going to say, it was. it's like the watches where you hit the button and it would kind of light up the background, yeah, right? Yeah, sim- similar. It had a very small, I think it had a very small uh, fluorescent tube that run down the side of it and it would, the glass would just, you know, um, like phosphorescently transmit the light across. So I'm mm. saddened to say that my one Newton, I have a Newton 100 or Newton, original Newton upstairs. Um, and it, I think the uh, screen has just started to die on it. So I just noticed some artifacts last time I booted it up. But uh, it's an amazing device. I mean, like, you know, you ran it off of three or four AAA batteries and it would last for three or four days, right? So amazing runtime on this thing. It was the iPod touch of its era. Yeah. Sort yeah. of. Maybe iPad, okay. iPad Jr. of its era. Yeah, and it had a stylus and, you know, that kind of stuff. So it was kind of, it was really cool, cool experience. I know, I, I know some people who just, you know, I think when the iPad came out, it was when people started, uh, started to ban that are Newtons and uh, you don't see them around very much anymore, even on mm. eBay and stuff like that. So kind of reminds me, I just uh, pulled out the 12 inch power book again. I was thinking oh, about yeah. running something on Mac OS Classic or something, and I do have the power book. It doesn't run Classic directly, but you can install OS 10, uh, 10.4 Tiger, I believe, yeah. which yeah. had Classic mode. Anyway, I didn't get that far, but I did start it up and I was like, wow, this backlight, horrible, because like, it's got the, you know, the CFL style yeah, backlight. It's all uneven yeah. and it's not retina. And I realized if I took a screenshot of it, it would be 10. 24 by 768, which is like, you know, that would fit into like one. Yeah. That's like, you know, an, an iOS app icon is like 1024 by 1024, that's right? That's true. That's true. <laughs> I think I saw the joke about that. So I just realized, hey, this is the computer I just booted up again. So uh, it was good times. I forget there was something else that I was doing on there. But, so is this um, a G3 PowerBook yeah. you have? It's the G, it was, it's the last uh, 12 inch G4 PowerBook right, that G4, they made. Right, right. The keyboard goes right to the edge, right? Oh, yeah. You know, you know, this. So I, I plugged it in, I was like booting it up, and I had. Have the um, I have a couple of them. I think the original thing is called a roost stand. It was a Kickstarter. It's like a foldable thing, and you put your laptop and it puts it at an angle, so it's not like um, it elevates it a little bit, and it makes the angle uh, a little bit askew. So when your hands go on it, you can type easily. Anyway, it's hard to describe. Anyway, it's like a laptop stand that's foldable and collapsible, and but the little grip, like it's got little. Imagine like your two, your index and your thumb to like hold something. So it's got a little grip, and you put your laptop in the thing, and you can like uh, slide it back. But that grip grip only holds laptops for like a half inch or something. So the 12 inch power book doesn't even fit oh, in there. Because really? I think it's like an inch and a half thick or something. And so <laughs> I realized I cannot use it in the stand. And I remember when I bought the stand, they were like, this supports like the weight of 15 inch or 17 inch laptops. And it'll support laptops up to whatever X thickness. But, uh, you know, I never had a problem with it. But I realized that, uh, wow, those laptops were thick. But, you know, it's still got a full Ethernet port and a DVD drive and whatnot. So, yeah, good times though. Cool. All right. Well, that takes us to Jaime and his Apple support channel. Yeah, I mean, the holidays are are coming up and many of us listening to the show probably will um, give our loved ones new Apple devices. And uh, if you're like me, you almost certainly end up being informal IT support when you're visiting uh, friends and family. So uh, something here you might be able to share with them, save yourself a little bit of of headache. They're like, oh, how do I do those those new portrait lighting effects thing that I saw in the commercial? Or I saw this commercial that tells me that I can copy and paste between devices. Uh, Apple's support folks have created a channel on YouTube that has uh, many of these on there. I assume they're going to continue to update this in the future. They're all really short, you know, a couple minutes, maybe 30 seconds or less, depending on the little nugget of information.
information. So I think this is really cool. This is something good where you don't have to necessarily go to an Apple store or town square, I guess they're calling them now. And uh, I think it says a lot to kind of separating away from like the pick itself. I think it says a lot that um, this isn't content that is hosted on apple.com. It, I mean, it might very well be, uh, you know, double hosted there, but it says a lot about the fact that YouTube is essentially, you know, the generic term now for right, online right. internet video, right? If you're seeing online internet video content that isn't, you know, produced by uh, big blockbusters, you know, like Netflix or something, like you go to YouTube. There, there's so many different uh, various celebrities that have come out of YouTube itself. And I think uh, I'm a little surprised that, that Apple went this route, um, but it, it, it's probably just going to where the audience itself is. Well, yeah, it's ubiquitous and it's kind of, it's a cool place to put your stuff. I mean, because now people will stumble across this too, because, you know, like my grandson will put the YouTube channel on the TV and he'll just flip through videos. You know, that's how he found the 8-bit guy we talked about before, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and now he's building PCs. So he's got to, you know, look at all the, the breakdowns on why this processor is bigger than the other one. But, but yeah, no, I, you'd, you'd stumble across this or maybe you'd find it in a tweet or something like that. This is cool. This reminds me, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but um, Mark might remember this, but when you first bought uh, a classic Mac, like in the 90s or in the 80s, late 80s, it would come with a floppy disk. And on that floppy disk was an Apple tour and it would take you through how to use the desktop on your computer. And it was like a little, you know, it had little birds flying and you'd click on windows to open, close shades and stuff like that. And it was all done in, you know, um, one bit resolution graphics, right? Um, but it was this little, little tour. The first thing you did was learn how to use the mouse and how to click and how to copy and paste and, and sort of gave you a, di- a diagram of what the desktop metaphor was about with the trash can and the folders and, and that kind of stuff, right? And it was sort of, that was your first entry point into using Macintosh was how to use the, you know, the keyboard and the mouse and, and things like that, right? So it's kind of cool. I'm going to make a joke that you were saying, oh, you know, they host on YouTube, but, you know, if they host on Apple.com, then they'd be like, you must be using Safari to yeah, stream yeah, this content. Yeah. So, <laughs> right. uh, that. And also speaking of them using these kind of quote-unquote third-party things, the Apple Twitter account is like the weirdest Twitter account, right? Because if you go to twitter.com slash Apple, it's like nothing. And yet they do tweet and it doesn't show who they're following. It's, it's really oh, weird. Really? Like wow. they have special... If you look at it, because I remember when they first announced Apple's on Twitter mm-hmm. and it was like a big deal. But if you look, it's like the weirdest, like they have some, like Twitter built some special mode just for Apple because it's just weird. Um, so, you know, I remember when they went on Twitter again, it was like, oh, look at them. They're being more open. Just, and Apple they hasn't add, tweeted Apple's yet. Look at that. But, you know, they have, but they don't show up on here. It only shows up in your stream if you subscribe and if they at mention you. I don't know. It's it's anyway, I, I should go look at this story. I just thought of it now, but look at the story and see if somebody has looked into it and see what's going on. But they have a they have a very strange. Well, they might have like a white labeled Insta server or something like that, right? But but it's interesting because like there's an ad like, iTunes yeah. account, there's an Apple News account, there's an iTunes movie, there's an Apple support account I think people know about, and, and there's also Apple Store. I've been on yeah. on uh, Twitter for a long time. But interesting that that uh, they've got this sort of lockdown experience. And of course it's got an iPhone 10 as their their header image, right? So it's it's funny it's funny looking at this YouTube page, um I'm reminded that they've got this little blue, I don't know if you can see it there where it says Apple support over beside the subscribe thing and they've got the little circle with the white apple and and support in that little um I forget even forget the font name is but um that used to be their logo on all their CDs back in you know when you would get Apple support CDs or or developer tool CDs and that kind of stuff. Neat neat sort of scrollback. They need a uh, they need a better URL though. It, it's kind of interesting that uh, Apple essentially has Google paying for the distribution. Ah, of good point. <laughs> yeah, these are not monetized oh, in course. any way. 
Yeah. Well, of course, Google is is uh, is making money from the ads that are presented every time someone types something into the Google browser, and a search result points them here. So that's now, wait a minute. Wasn't there something between Apple and Google like exchanging large sums of money recently, millions of dollars? Apple paying Google or Google paying no Google paying Apple for some right to be like the first party call on something. Not like using the, like you know how they used to use the Google search engine and and they used to have Google Maps, but something similar to that recently. I don't know if we talked about it or if it was one of the things we were going to talk about. Doesn't ring a bell with any of you guys? I'm, I'm struggling to remember the specific one because it has changed details a few times, but I think Google pays Apple a boatload, like billions of dollars uh, every year just to be the search provider for right, Safari, right. say. And for a very long time, um, Bing, Microsoft Bing was powering Siri's queries. And I oh, think really? they split that up a little bit where some of it still is through Bing, but um, some of it moved back to Google, if I'm not mistaken. I'm not sure what sort of uh, web search queries would, would be the case. Oh, here it is uh, from August. Google paying Apple $3 billion to remain default search. Yeah, that's it. Interesting mm. stuff. Hmm. Yes, frenemies, they call it, or co-opetition, I think. Co-opetition. That's a good one. I should start using that. Co-opetition, yeah. All right, so we're into the stealth picture part of the show. What do you got for us, Greg? I have uh, yet another link to a conference. It's the iOS Conf Singapore um, disclaimer, or disclaimer, whatever you call it. Uh, I was also there and also spoke, but they released all the videos at once, so you can check out this page, and there are 22 conference videos there. So I'll just highlight a couple of the good picks that I enjoyed that I still remember. Um, Optionals in Practice by Rob Napier, if you want a you know, review of what optionals are, when you should use them, when you shouldn't use them, if force unwrapping, is it okay, is it not? Uh, he did a really good talk on uh, to be exclamation mark or not question mark optionals <laughs> in practice. That one was really good. Um, there was also a really good one on bypassing jailbreak detection, which is not really that big. A, you know, I don't know if people jailbreak anymore, whatever, how concerned you should be. But it was an interesting, I think, I think it was a lightning talk. It was pretty short about like how you might do jailbreak protection in your app and then how as a jailbreak or as a whatever evil person you would sort of want to overcome the jailbreak detection. So it was a really interesting kind of um, call and response back and forth kind of thing where he said, here's what, here are some common things that people do and here's how you break them again. So that was really interesting. Uh, our mutual friend, uh, Sam Davis, did a talk on Codable or Codable as some people like to call it. They spelled mm. it wrong here. But on the protocol, he did a little bit, little bit of live coding, which is always really interesting about how you implement Codable and decode and things like that and what's free and what's not. Uh, you know, Sam does, always does a good job. Someone was really good. Um, so yeah, I'm just scrolling Greg, through. What Greg, else? Some guy named Greg did a talk on compiler sanitizers for fun and profit. It was on the threat sanitizer, threat sanitizer, and how the threat sanitizer works, and sort of how I found out how the threat sanitizer works. So yeah, that one was all right. So you can watch it if you want to. Cool. And uh, as I as said, uh, Jesse Squires also did the talk on the numeric protocols. So the uh, numeric, how numbers and integers and signed integers and how all that stuff works change a little bit in Swift four. Uh, I wrote a blog post about it as well a, a few weeks ago, but he did the talk on uh, mostly, I think, floating point stuff and sort of how floats work and how they're weird and that kind of thing. So that one was pretty good as well. So uh, yeah, there's a pretty good selection, but those are the ones I kind of, I still remember a month later. Um, so if you like watching conference videos, then uh, check it out. It was, uh, it was a really good conference and a lot of fun too. So cool. yeah. All right. That's cool. All right. So hey, Jaime, if people want to find you on the interwebs, where do they look? I'm on Twitter as at Dev of the Hair. And Mark, if you want to get in, people want to get in touch with you. Mark R at Smapsoft.com. And Greg, so how do people get a hold of you these days? Uh, probably also on Twitter. I'm still there as at Gregio. Alrighty, and as I said at the top of the show, I am Timitra T I M M I T R A on the Twitter machine, and that's the best way to get a hold of me. Cue the music. 
This concludes another intriguing, insightful, and inquisitive episode of the More Than Just Code podcast. I'm friend of the show and sometimes host, Greg Heo. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at mtjc underscore podcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskMTJC. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amounts at patreon.com slash mtjc. You can find all the details on how to help us out on our website. That's mtjc.fm slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time, eh? You mean why we're so late today? You mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So how it always is. I don't know. Yeah, we started doing, well, we started moving back because Mark's challenged to get home sometime. And then, so an extra half hour on top of the extra hours is helpful for him. Ah, He's a chance to get something to eat, right? So I see. So I miss at home, you know, eating bonbons all day. So he's not really hungry. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) (laughs) Peggy Bundy style. That's my my lifestyle. (laughs) Bonbons and burritos is actually what I was thinking. (laughs) I'm seeing you in a leopard skin, the leotard now. on the couch, <laughs> your red wig, <laughs> with the hair. <laughs> hey, guess what today's this week's uh, picture is going to be? <laughs> oh man! <laughs> <laughs> well, I had a Twitter poll. I don't know if you guys saw it. Let me just paste it in here. And I was curious about what uh, what word people use once yeah. there. I should have been a little more clear. Once code makes it to the remote repository, like what do you call that? If somebody says, you know, oh, where's that change? And you said, oh yeah, I've already, mm. what's the word? You can look at the poll and there's some choices there, but I was just curious. Well, I, my, mine was before. Call it commit. Commit. Uh, is okay. that you're asking what, how it's referred to? I like, I guess what's the word that you would use? So you would say, oh, I just committed that or I committed that yesterday or have you committed that yet? Like that's the yeah. word you would use? That's, okay. that's the official word, although I'll say check in sometimes, but that's a throwback okay. to. Yeah. 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 SVN, I think said check in, right? Is that yeah. right? Okay. Yeah. 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 Checked it in. Yeah. I probably say pushed. Pushed. That is the most popular choice as of this time. Uh, the poll is still open. Well, by the time this recording, well, see, merge, know, but... merge is a different thing for us because we'll push our code and then then we'll do a PR, right? I, and... I know people are tweeting me saying, "Oh, it depends on what this." I'm like, I know. I'm just saying, like, you're out on the street yeah. and your coworker walks by and just says, "Hey, that feat, that thing you were working on, has that been committed yet? Did you push that yet? Did you merge? Like, what's the word? Just generally speaking, that you use most often? That's kind yeah. of what I was curious. But yes, the... did you ask the uh, the UK folks what they call it? Uh, well, I left like, the poll. I mean, before, before, before you. Made the, before you made the poll, I mean, like to get some. No, these are just the words that I either use or I hear people say, and I was just curious what um, but, what but people see, are saying. You, you were unclear here because I know I didn't. If, yeah, if we you, should cast chastise. It, it goes into your local repository, right? Yes. So, but but it's not necessarily merged into say master or the or yeah. or a remote repository. I know. So. I, maybe I should have said remote, but again, I I know the the pedants are coming out and saying, "Well, it's different." I'm like, "Yes, I know. I know it's different." I just again, like, what is the one word that you yeah, just say yeah. automatically like the most so, so here's some highlights Eric Kerber uh, you know who works at Target and friend of ours from Ray Warlick Group says he said checked in as well Mark so yeah it's a, checked in is an old school thing yeah 
yeah. And, and I guess when I said commit, I was thinking about I'm committing to my local repo, but that yeah. doesn't mean I usually say merged when it's going into the big one. Yeah. Okay. So, so Mick Pringle says hallelujah. <laughs> Martin, Martin Totoro says Martin is the best. Yeah. <laughs> Every time, he, every time he pushes, that's what he says. That's a round of shots. Yeah. Uh, Some people say merged. Some people say shipped. Somebody said, uh, what's land. the winner? The current winner is pushed. Uh, yeah. Land is fabricator terminology. So at Facebook, a lot of people will say, oh, the code is going to land in five minutes or I'm going to land oh, really? tomorrow. Uh, mm-hmm. That would be like the equivalent of merge because in fabricator, it's called land. But I, I'm pretty sure I said landed before I started working at Facebook. Like I know I've said that before. So I was just curious what um, what people say. I so, think one good yeah, answer for me, was... For me, pushed means something else. So pushed means you pushed it to your remote yeah. repo, but yeah. it's not necessarily merged into your master. Right, right, right. Yeah, it steps. You commit it locally, then you push right. it, and then you merge it into the right. master. And then somebody said also, someone also said like, once you've merged in all of the different things, then you have landed the feature. So it's commit, push, oh. merge, and land is sort of the, the hierarchy, which is kind of how I, I just did it alphabetical to not, you know, skew the results or whatever. Right, um, right. Well, yeah, we yeah. do it like we, we're in the Alatian workflow. So um, merged is, is kind of the end of the run for us, right? Mm. Whether it's going to a feature branch or to the master branch, right? So, yeah. but yeah, if like you, if your code has made it to the repository, oh, I see what you're saying. So if you've made it, like you've got it there and it's done and you're, you're dusting your hands off, right? So and that's what? what? Dusting your hands off, you know? Yeah. yeah no. <laughs> what word is that that you're referring to? Oh, so I, that would be merged, right? Merged. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. so I, I would, I would push the code. I would push yeah. the code when I'm, when I'm sitting at my machine and I want to get it up onto the server, I would push it. Yes. Um, and then, you know, then we do the PR and the, do a few code review, right? Yeah. And then, and then you get two approvals and then you, then, then you, then you can merge and you get a successful build as well with Jenkins build, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. I would say merge is probably the most common end of line. Again, some people said land, they only use that to refer to like large features. Mm-hmm. Merge in some pull requests, but you land a feature and I'll just highlight yeah, also. So, and what about, um, what about when you push it to the app store? Is that released? We say released. I guess so. I'm being app agnostic. This could be a web app for all we know. I'm just thinking about oh, the okay. source control okay. side, but yeah. And I'll highlight uh, Ben Packard at Ben Packard also suggested pride, relief, and guilt as three additional, <laughs> which I liked. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so have you ever like uh, I've never actually managed to do this. I always FTP my my changes up to uh, a web server. I'll use a you know I'll use code like a, a what do you call it version control when I'm on my local machine and stuff like that. And but so have you ever like published from like a from a repo to a web server? You know if that's possible. Uh, I think like some like yeah. uh, Heroku will do that, won't it? If you push to yeah. Git, then you have a hook and then Heroku will pull it and restart your web process or whatever that thing is, whatever you call it. But is Heroku, uh, Heroku is, that's only a Ruby server, right? Or is no, that, they or do uh, all, uh, not Swift, all the but language. they do all kinds of things. Yeah. Like yeah. PHP and Java and JavaScript and stuff? Java even, yeah. And yeah. Uh, Python and yeah, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. No oh, really? JS and all the I think they originally started, you're, you're right, they started as a Ruby shop, I think, but now they do, uh, they support pretty much everything, I think, except for Swift. Cool. Do you know what it costs yeah. to host over there? I forget, they charge by Dino. It's kind of weird. The first one is free, kind of like a drug. I shouldn't say that, but um, first one is free, and then it's like I forget thirty bucks a month, maybe per additional. They call it a Dino. They don't want to call it a server or a machine or a CPU because it's kind of amorphous. What the hell you're buying? I think, but uh, I want to say thirty dollars per additional. Really, you yeah. need large unit of computer. I'll say. Oh yeah, because, oh you know yeah, because it probably includes bandwidth and space and all in one thing, right? And yeah, plus- the standard one starts at twenty five. Oh, computer bucks. cycles. Computer cycles. Yeah. Yeah, they have a hobby one, which uh, I'm not really sure what the difference is. Oh, they actually say 512 megs RAM, 10 process type, $7 for the hobby version.
version, but the standard, I'm making air quotes here, is uh, 25 bucks per month is what it starts at. Um, Interesting. So yeah, yeah. Hmm. Good to know. Mm-hmm. Good to know. So I have a question. So on your Twitter your Twitter um, thing, it says iOS and Swift nerd, which I completely agree with. Mm. Sometimes writer, that's okay. And then full-time Canadian, okay, I get that. Avid semicolon user, that's the one I'm questioning. <laughs> Why, well, you, you question my uh, use of semicolons avidly? Yeah, I mean, I mean you know, I thought, I thought we were all done with semicolons and stuff like that now. That no, I love the semicolons. You look at the, my blog posts, I'll, I think almost always have at least one semicolon somewhere in there. But oh, Tim, okay. you're talking about code. Yeah, I am talking about and, code, yeah. Oh, and I'm talking about writing. Talking about so, <laughs> I'm talking about writing. I, I like the semicolons. Yeah. You like to list things, do you? Is that what you're saying? I like the what? You like to list things? So you'll do, you'll do like, you know, you'll make a point and you'll do semicolon and you have a bunch of examples with Oxford comma separating them, right? That's more a colon if you're giving a thing yeah. in the colon and, and I thought semicolon was before a list. No, semicolon no. separates two independent phrases, two independent clauses. That's, That's right. It. It's like a period. It's like a oh. period, but the things on the either end are like closely related. Oh, so where I'm using like an M dash, I should be using a semicolon is what you're saying. Like I like to do that. I'll write something. Technically the M dashes have to be paired, right? You have to say blah, 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 M dash, side note, M dash, blah, 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 continue the first thought. Technically, oh, the, really? the okay. grammar nerds will say they have to be paired and they're like parentheses is the way to think of them. But oh, so you can't just have one and then finish a sentence. I mean, official whatever if you're, I don't know, writing for... So I used to use ellipsis. I used to go dot, 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 and then I would and I would change, like I would go on... A, you know how I speak in tangents, right? Well, I, mm. I write in tangents too, right? Mm. So so when I do a tangent, I kind of... I used to do dot, 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 and then and somebody pointed out to me that was wrong. I should do a dash instead. Mm-hmm. I think maybe it might have been Carol, but you're saying it, it should be a semicolon if they're two separate thoughts that are kind of in the same sentence. I think the, the classic use of it is like parentheses, you know? Tim went to the store, M dash, the I've one he back, hadn't I, been to in a long time, M dash, and along the way he blocked, you know what I mean? Like it. Yeah, see, I would use commas for that. I would use commas for that. But, yeah, or some but, people use parentheses, or, but I think that is sort of the classic use of it. But nowadays, okay, so, but, people but use Coming it, back like to the said. semicolon is what I'm asking about. So if oh, I'm okay. doing, if I have two separate thoughts, yes. and you know, I saw a really good movie the other day. Like if I did something like that, I would put a semicolon between the two, like if I wanted to sort of digress for a moment kind of thing? No, it's like Mark said, they have to be two separate sentences. So you could replace the semicolon with a period is the rule. Um, oh, okay, if you yeah. can't replace it with a period, then you're using it wrong, sort of something like that. Um, right. But I use it when the two sentences are like closely related. I'm trying to find an example in like a blog post or something that I wrote, but that's the idea. They have to be two separate sentences. Here we go. Here's one from a blog post. I wrote, I've coded up some examples into a playground, period. Feel free to download it, blah, 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 and so on. So instead of a period, those are two separate sentences, but I use the semicolon. I've coded up some examples into a playground, semicolon. Feel free to download it, check out the code, and play around with it yourself. Oh, see, I just noticed here it says iOS Swift nerd, iOS and Swift nerd, semicolon, sometimes writer, semicolon, (laughs) full hyphen time Canadian, semicolon, average writer, average semicolon user, period. And then you've got smiley emoji. I'm not sure what that guy is. It's the nerd face. Oh, the nerd face. Okay. Okay. Oh, actually, a question I have for you. So, or for the group, I guess, you know, emojis are all based in, in originally they were done with, with punctuation, right? So, you know, like the smiley, smiley face or the winky guy is a semicolon and a, and a curly brace or, or a parenthesis, right? Or sure. a, Technically, right, those right. are emoticons, right? Emoticons. I, I was okay, going to let it go. Come on, Mark. 
right. Here's the question. Here's the question about the emoticons. Well, emoticons became emojis, right? But right. So, yeah. You know the the hmm character. I use that one a lot. The guy that's got his you know his hand on his chin as he's pondering the thing that just happened. The thinking face. Yes. Thinking face. Yes. So how does that? What's the keyboard equivalent of that? What's the <laughs> emoticon version Emoti- of that? I do not know of one. Uh, I mean, I know how to type a rose and a shrug, but <laughs> yeah, the guy with sunglasses. I use that one a lot. Um, that's the B. The B and the the, the B. Yeah, smile, yeah, yeah. Right? I don't think there was an emoticon version of that. I will try to Google it and find something, but I don't even know what that would look like. Maybe the um, you know, if you did the angle bracket and the, the eye, it made you look angry. You know what I mean? Angle bracket. If you do a greater than and then a colon. Oh and yes, then, you yes. know, it, like it makes you yeah, look like you're furrow, angry. Furrow, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But if yeah. you did like a slash, that would make it look like you know you have a raised eyebrow. Well, you're doing you know the I mean? blue steel thing, and we might get sued by my thing, right? <laughs> I feel like that might be close, but I honestly can't think of how else you would do it. Really, you huh. could do the Japanese style, you know, the Asian style uh, emoticons back in the day. They focus on the eyes, so they do like O yeah, dot yeah. O. I'm sure there might be a thinking face if you did. Well, that's what I'm kind of wondering. Like, where did the, where did that come from? I mean, like there must have been an emoticon for that, right? So not necessarily. Well, not necessarily. Yeah. I mean, once things migrated to emojis, there's a lot more emojis now than there ever were. Of oh, it's kind of like like 64-bit characters versus 8-bit characters or whatever, right? I feel like, like the once they app. got, yeah, once the Unicode space opened up, they're like, oh, exactly. we can come yeah. up with every possible fruit and every possible uh, animal and everything like that. Yeah. Yeah, and yet they're not the same, though. I'll take it, you know. they're not. Uh, what's the not the same? Well, like a shot of whiskey or a, a tumbler of whiskey oh, doesn't yeah. look the same on different platforms and birthday cake doesn't look the same and glasses of wine don't look the same. So Yeah, that's true. You should suggest your own. I, I listened to, I forgot if I mentioned it here, I listened to a podcast episode, I think of 99% Invisible, and they talked to some person who like thought up an emoji and went, they went through the entire process. They proposed it to the Unicode Consortium and oh, really? it got to a vote. It was the um, levitating, I think it was a person in yoga position, in the lotus position. They wanted something for like meditation or to yeah. represent Buddhism, I think. And right. so he had to come up with like, what would be the most neutral but distinctive thing? And they came up with person sitting in lotus and it got approved. So on the podcast episode, he talks about the whole process of how and why he why he wanted he just wanted to have an emoji basically, and he had to find something that was sort of not there, but he thought could get in. So uh, it's an interesting episode. I'll look up the episode and put it in here. I'm scrolling through this list, him of ASCII emoji in the I mm. Japanese Asian style, and I see nothing for thinking. There's a judging <laughs> that looks pretty good. Mm. Um, I'll put that in the chat. You can, <laughs> you can see what you think. I kind of like it though. <laughs> it looks a little angry to me rather than judging. Oh, yeah, yeah, but yeah, what do you think? Yeah, that was pretty good. Looks a little bit like that uh, Kilroy guy, though. <laughs> Kilroy was here. He does yeah, have yeah. the nose. This uh, this emoji here. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see. Yeah, the excited eyes. I used to draw Kilroy all the time when I was a kid. Really? Where? Yeah. Oh, just on paper. Oh, not like out in the street putting it. You know, no, like, no, it, no, like no, in no, the old days. No, okay. No, no. I was a graphic artist at one point, or an art artist at one point. So I, I remember. Hmm. Person in. All right, I found the episode. I will put it in the show notes. You should give it a listen if you don't listen to the podcast. I feel like Tim, you do you listen to ninety nine percent invisible, Tim? I don't know, but okay. I do. Who's, who's, who's in that one? It's uh, Roman Mars, who is part of the... I think they have a podcast network. Maybe it's like... It's not NPR, but it's like NPR adjacent or something like that. Anyway, mm-hmm. I'll put it in here. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about design, so I fear you would you would really enjoy it. Right, right. So here's the golden question, though, Greg. How do they fit? 
I haven't actually gotten them because they're all out of the color that I wanted. Uh, they were like, oh, we're actually all out, which is black, strangely enough. I can't believe they're out of it. But wow. uh, it is high quality Italian acetate. So uh, it does get shipped in and imported or whatever. So they are out of the particular one that I wanted. And they were like, we can, you can pick another one or you can wait. And I was like, oh, I'll just wait because, you know. I'm not so is it like injection molded or is it, or, or how did, is it like 3D printed or? It is or not 3D, 3D printed. printed. Yeah. You know how, what kind of a quality you get from 3D printing, Sam. If you, would you wear? 3D yeah, no, no. But what? I, yeah, what you could do that as a, as a maquette and then build a proper mold out of it, kind of thing, right? Uh, no, no, no. There is a block of. Like it's like CNC making a MacBook Pro. Like, There's a block yeah. of acetate, and they CNC out uh, exactly. And if it's the metal, if you order like metal frames, and they, I think they laser cut the thing. Oh, really? So we cool. do have robots with lasers in the office as well. Oh, so like one pair of glasses is made one at a time, kind of thing. Yeah, because I mean they have They're to not be like you can't, frames that they just pop lenses into. No, like they, no, no. You can't do that because these are the whole point is to you know get a 3d mesh of your face and they will exactly fit you uh the other thing i so I so how good is that mesh compared to like the like i i mean i did a scan on my face with one over iphone 8 the office right that's when when um alexa sent me the code right hmm. for the test flight build yeah um, i made a I made one but i never went through and purchased but so how well how like close does it map to your actual side your face they are down to the millimeter from what they really? say so hmm. I mean, I haven't actually gotten up the calipers and measured anything, but uh, they say they're down to the millimeters. So it's like, okay, it's pretty accurate. Um, I'd read a review, like a customer review, and I never thought about this, but you know, when you get glasses and they measure your your PD, your the distance between your pupils. Yeah, because yeah. When they like they you pick your frames, and then when they like grind, they don't actually grind. I don't think they grind the lenses there, but when they make the lenses, they have to make sure the center of the lens is going to be like where your eye, like where your pupil is, right? So that's why they measure right, your yeah. pupil distance. But then if you get mass-produced glasses, it's like well it'll be close or whatever but if you get like the custom made glasses and you know your eyes are crooked and your face isn't symmetrical then they know exactly where to put the center point of the lens so so one of the reviews said like the glasses are so much clearer and he was like is it like the uh like the placebo effect like because these are like high quality fitting glasses i feel like they're clearer but actually they are clearer because you know the optics also match exactly the like where your eye is in relation to your nose and like your ears right, right. so i never thought about that but that's actually uh true too it'll be supposed to be clearer looking and he also said like oh it's easier to clean which i think is the placebo effect that's probably not true but uh, i do believe that uh you will see better with them so it depends on the coating like i have i have a couple of pairs of glasses that have um the ones i bought like many years ago had that chrysal lens on them so they've got some sort of coating on the glass that so it doesn't pick up dust and dirt and Hmm. and sponges a lot so like you know um what do you think yeah no it's 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 crystal clear and i have a similar coating on the glasses i have now but and and the ones i have now have like a blue coating on them for the uh oh for like uh watching the looking at the computer yeah so i mean the ones i'm wearing right now are my old ones from from back in the day so i have a pair that i keep the office and a pair that i keep here for computer but then the ones i wear every day Hmm. um have that that coating on them and i i I don't i religiously don't touch the lenses and i clean them regularly but yeah no they stay a lot my first pair of glasses were horrible like it always i hate looking through things right like smudges or you know, fingerprints or what have you. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. These, and these, so, and Chrysal has been around for a long time. So their coding mechanisms that they put in these things are, are amazing these days. So, yeah. Hmm.
Oh, hey, speaking of Nanaj, so my device tracker screenshots published today, right? Because my I got approval today. And uh, initially when, when it first when it first came out, I went to the store and I looked at it and it still had my iPhone 6 Plus um, pictures there in, in place, right? Um, but now they're, they're on the store, so you can go there and look at device tracker. But even though I went through the effort of making these screenshots so they're full screen, you know, without a, without a device, I've got one with a device around it, but the other ones don't show a device. It, you know, the screenshots don't have the notch across the top, right? And they've put rounded corners on the screenshots, and yet you can't make them full screen on the on the when you're looking on the app store. Like you know, in, in the other devices, you would you would tap on the image and it would zoom up to the to fill the whole screen so you could see what the app looks like. On the iPhone 10, it still has a bit of a white border around it. And if you guys have checked it out, you can go to our device tracker app.com and get to it from there. But let me take a look. So anyway, just device tracker app.com. Yeah, device tracker app.com will get you there, and then you can click on the Apple Store link there from there. Of course, if you look at the device tracker in, in the App Store, there's like 17 different ones. Still <laughs> tried to steal my name. You're still, you're still holding on to the name, though, right? I, I offered it to a dude. I sort of the one guy who was upset about it. I sort of said, "Hey, like you know, I'm 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 I, I consider changing my my app name. I mean, like you know, I'm I'm not that invested in it anymore. So you know, other than I, I use it to test, you know, updates and stuff like that. Right? Let's see. Would you sell it to them? I, yeah, I'd want a few bucks for the name. Yeah, yeah. for sure. But yeah. uh, you know, which one is you? If I do a a search in the app store um you can look for device tracker it's probably the fourth or fifth one that comes up you're not even the first one? Oh my god no i know i used to be i used to be well i'm the first one that has the name unbelievable right? let me look it up i know it's just, whatever, apple's not helping me out here and let me also see if anybody has bought ads against it <laughs> oh really can you do that yes yeah, so find my family friends and something has an ad first oh really and it's oh, okay. device locator device tracker plus there's a good name yeah device tracker mobile finder device tra- oh my God, you're not even here, Tim. Yeah, you gotta scroll down. Yeah, I don't see you in the US store. You're, you're not. not oh, it's like credit karma, device tracker for phone, kayak is here. What is this? So, Tim, what am I looking okay, so I'm looking at the entry now. So, the first screenshot has uh, the body of an iPhone 10. Yeah, but tap on tap on this on the screenshot and, it, and it'll zoom it up on your on your phone, right? It is doing a whole lot of nothing right now. Oh, uh, yes, yes, I'm, I'm already in the zoomed in um, mode. You know what I mean? It's, yeah, it doesn't I fill the too. screen, right? No, it looks so. I'm not sure what you meant by mean by fill the screen. I have an idea. So it, it does not because it looks like a like a little carousel, an image carousel of uh, devices. Mm-hmm. But it used to you, on the older devices when you had the screenshot that was the, made for the device and you tapped on it, it would fill the entire screen and you have to swipe to see the next one as if it was like a like a page. Oh, right? So I kind of remember that, but I honestly don't remember if that was still true for the new App Store. You know when they did that whole refresh. Oh, maybe maybe the redesigns changed. Yeah, I actually so. I, I can't. From confirm because I don't actually remember. Oh, you know, I, I'm looking at it on my looking on my iPad right now, and, and I'm and you're right. Even though the screenshots are made full size, they don't fit. The, they don't zoom up all the way anymore, like they used. Yeah, to. Yeah, I think that was something that used to be the case, but I I don't think is the case for the new App Store. So why would they? Why would? So now, like my so you see my first shot with the black uh, the space gray iPhone there looks pretty cool, right? And you, you know it gives you the impression of what the app will look like with the notch and all kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas the second and third screenshots which are just a screenshot from the device they, they have that the bar goes right, goes right across the top right oh 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 well if you take a screenshot on an iPhone 10 yeah these are from it, the iPhone 10 device, it doesn't show the notch there either right right so so my point right. was the reason why I always do an image with the device was and this is what I got this from launch kit was you put it on the device and then people have an idea what the app will look like running on the device you know as opposed to having to guess mm. yeah well I mean plus you can put a little bit of messaging across the top right notch, yeah. keep track of your 
gear and sort by location, you know. I'm trying to find the story, but I saw a tweet go by that somebody updated their app on the app store and they, they did the style that you do you have here. It's not like a screenshot, yeah. it's a screenshot that's down a little bit with text above it. They did yeah, that yeah. style. But the yeah. device that they had below it was actually like an Android, like the Oh really? <laughs> yeah, and they made it through the store. Like I don't know, I guess a human right. back, but I'm trying to find well, a tweet, but I can't uh, I can't seem to find there it. There was a time where Apple used to give you warnings if you used if you put the product in the shot like they didn't like that at first right yeah and then enough people started doing it and they put their text up there i mean that's, it's pretty you can't see the full screen so i can see why they might not like it but I right people right. feel they need to well, actually with, 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 the, with the iphone 10 you can actually see the whole screen if you look the way i've got my shot done there right um, it, i don't know well i don't have an iphone 10 oh so you don't have an iphone 10 oh, oh, i'm seeing your old screenshots here which are also pretty nice but yeah yeah, they don't, they don't show the full screen because it's funny because I noticed that when I, I had to redo the screenshots or I had to do the, the I had to do them again because because um, when because uh, it's a narrower phone it you can actually see the almost see it curving around the bottom mm-hmm. it does crop off a little bit of the bottom but you can yeah, I think you can see the the home home screen indicator I mean Mark I don't have my phone beside me can you see the home screen indicator on there on that first shot one sec I accidentally tapped away like a dummy let me go back to the web <laughs> nice I really don't like how it's really easy to lose okay there we go. Uh, so on the first screenshot, what am I looking for? So if you look at the bottom of the fo- of the device, you can see how it almost starts to curve around the bottom there. Mm-hmm. Could you still see that? Do you see the home screen home screen indicator, the little white bar? Yep. Yeah. So, but on on the older devices, like Greg was saying, like on the iPhone six, um, it cuts off the bottom of the app. So I hadn't seen the bottom of the app in a screenshot in like forever because I have a couple of uh, I have a tab bar at the bottom. Yeah. So I- hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.